Amen. Thanks, Quartz. I really love the presence of Jesus. I really love the Lord. Um, just in moments like this, yeah, our kids are going to have a great time. Enjoy. You guys are legends. We love you so much. It's going to be a special time. We have some pretty wild kids. I love it. Uh, hey, listen, I grew up in church, and um, I, from the age of, I don't know, four years old, as far as I can remember, um, grew up in environments like this. I know what it's like to get used to the routine of church activity and church life and completely miss the man Jesus. I know what it's like to be raised in Christian environments but never meet the man inside the message. <clears throat> and so it's real vital, it's real important to me when we come together. I check my heart every time we're in times of worship, every time we're in moments like this where God is here and I want to make sure that I recognize Him and I'm aware of Him in the room. It gets real easy for us to come together in communities and, and hear good songs and hear worship and, and kind of perform the act of worship and miss the man Jesus. And so I, I feel it in my heart. Sometimes I'm standing in a room like this and I know we're singing the songs and I check my heart and I go, who are you singing to right now? Because I can even be singing the words, I love you, I love you, I love you. But my mind is so far from him. My thoughts are on, you know, what happened yesterday and uh, this week is going to be crazy and this situation that I'm still facing and, and you know, if my family's a mess or this is happening or that. And your, your mind can begin to drift into all the things that are happening while you're singing, Jesus, I love you. And so sometimes you've got to actually stop. Be aware of where your soul's at and go, hold on a second. I actually get to lead my soul in this moment of worship and just say, you're going to fix your gaze on Jesus because he's actually here. Like if you don't believe Jesus is in the room with us right now, why are you here? Right? Like we're not, I promise you, man, I'm just so done with playing church. We're not, we're not here to play church. We're not here to tick the box. We're not even here to fill a room. We're actually here because we genuinely believe there is a king of kings. His name is Jesus. My prayer is that every person in this room actually has met him. And if you haven't, then my prayer today is that you will, because you, you cannot do this life, you cannot live in the world that we live in right now with an idea of Jesus or the brand Jesus or that you've signed up to the cause kingdom, but you've never met the man. I promise you it won't sustain you. I promise you, you can put spiritual language on anything that you want if it is not built, rooted, grounded, established in the revelation of the person Jesus Christ. If you've never seen his burning eyes for you, if you do not know how much he loves you, it's going to get real rocky. And this morning, I can feel it. I almost feel war in my heart for your souls. Not just in this room, but for, for our city, for people living in the world that we live in today. I mean, come on. If we open our eyes and begin to see it, we know it's tough. We know that there is so much coming at us from every angle. We know that life is difficult. Situation and circumstances are tough. And majority of Christians are still living for a better day rather than living for eternity. And if we'll allow the Holy Spirit today to convict us and cut us to the heart, if we'll allow the gospel to illuminate our lives, to light us up, if we'll allow the fire of the gospel to consume us this morning, I promise you, you are called to shine and radiate the glory of God in a world that's getting darker and darker. Right? It doesn't take much. It just took 120 people in a room getting set on fire and they turned the known world upside down. I promise you, the problem is not getting, trying to get more rooms filled. That's going to happen. It's a byproduct of the gospel. The problem is getting people filled with God. This morning, it's like I can feel the pull and the draw of the Father going, if I can just get this inside of you, if you'll just receive through the Holy Spirit, if you'll just receive the fullness of the gospel, if you'll just once and for all just die and say yes, just give Him everything, just put your life on the altar, just stop playing games and give it to Him and just say it's yours. It's over, it's finished. Life is not okay without Him. You can't live without Him. And I'm not talking about the message and the idea. I'm talking about knowing Him. Right? If you're not in that place, how's it going for you? If you don't have Him, if you don't know Him, if you're not walking with Him, how's it going? It's pretty rough. And you might even have everything going well for you. It seems like it's going well, but your well-being, your heart's not okay. Why? Because you weren't born for this stuff. You were born for Him. 
There's coming a, a day, and this has got to be real to you. If this is not real to you, then I'm crying out. Let my voice just be a, a, an echoing cry, invitation to you. If you are not aware of the fact that you're going to stand before him, that he's actually coming back. Like we're not, this isn't just a cool, you know, it's not one of the religions that, you know, pick, pick which one you want to be a part of and, and, and hope that it helps you live your life in a more healthy and sustainable way. This is not what we're talking about. There's actually a king of glory who actually did hang on a cross for you, who actually did die. He actually was beaten and marred beyond description. In other words, when you looked at him, he didn't even look like a human being anymore because he took every ounce of wrath and punishment on himself for you. That he actually saw through the pain. He saw what you would become on the other side of that. He contended for you. He was carrying you on that cross so that by faith you too would die. He actually did it. And not only that, he actually died and then he actually rose. This is not some crazy story. This is history. This happened. This is real. Our King of glory was raised from the dead and you were raised with him by faith so that on the other side of the cross, you would no longer live for yourselves. Paul writes, but you would actually live for him. What does that say about our lives? You were not designed for you. You weren't designed for your own life. You weren't designed to lead your own life. You weren't designed to satisfy your own life or yourself or build an empire. You were made for Him. And the cry of the Father's heart is He's saying, if you will allow me to establish the gospel in your heart, you'll find true freedom. You'll find true fulfillment. You'll once and for all be given to the dream of heaven. And you'll finally find what you were born for. That was early. I'm fired up already. <clears throat> Most of you are going, who the heck is Obed-Edom? <laughs> I'll get to it. Listen, there's no point in me standing up here today and just giving a nice, neat sermon. I may as well just give you a high five and send you home. I didn't come here today to make you feel better about life. I didn't come here today to give you the seven steps to figure out how to do it better this week. Let me tell you, you're living in a world with depression, shame, anxiety, guilt, condemnation. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's coming at you from every, every side. It doesn't matter where you look, it's coming. And we're not a people that are called to look at this realm. We're a people that are called to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. When we, when we look at Him, when we behold Him, when we see Him, when we, when we decide that my life is going to be lived unto and towards Him, everything else is silenced. You cannot take Him away from me. You can take money. You can take relationships. You can take... Uh, success, you can take opportunity, you can take all that stuff from me, but you cannot take him. And he's the treasure of life. He's the treasure in the field. We're his treasure in the field and he's ours. And once I have my treasure, I have everything. You can take everything away. See, here's the secret. And I, I hit this every time, but you know, people like to use Abraham as the example of prosperity and go, well, you know, hey, look, we're blessed. Abraham's covenant, we're supposed to be these wealthy, rich people. Yeah, but he was the one who actually abandoned everything, took his son and put him on an altar and was ready to put a knife through his son's heart. Out of obedience. And the reason why God could trust Abraham to have influence over nations was because Abraham said, I just want you. Whatever you ask of me, you can have it. You gave me a promise. If you ask for it back, it's yours. Why? Because I have to have you. Look at Moses. He's this incredible man who gets so many things wrong. He's a murderer. You know that? Moses was a murderer. And God calls him to lead a whole nation of people. And when they get to Mount Sinai, there's a, a beautiful story of how he takes the elders, the leaders of Israel up halfway up on the mountain, and they actually behold God, and they, they feast together, and God begins to speak to them. But then Moses gets to go further, and he goes up into the cloud of glory for 40 days and 40 nights, and he beholds God, and he talks to God face to face as a man talks to his friend, the murderer. What does that tell you about the heart of God? He's never been about asking you to get it right. He's saying, will you come? He invited all of Israel, but they said, no, we're not going to go. We'll send Moses. It looks real scary, that glory cloud. There's lightning and thunder and stuff up there. That looks really intimidating. We don't want to go up there. Let's just send Moses. Moses, you go up, and then when you come back, you tell us what to do. Moses goes up for 40, 40 days and 40 nights, and when he comes back, what have they done? They took all their gold, and they built a statue and started worshiping it. And you go, that's crazy, man. They, they, was, they looked at the, the mountain and saw the glory. They knew Moses had gone up into the glory. Why would they do that? You do it every day. How many times 
Is there an invitation from the Lord every morning? And he's going, this is not about you getting it right. This is not about whether you think you're a good person or a bad person or whether you're in a good place with God or a bad place with God. It's not about that. Come. That's what he's saying. And it's the people like Moses who will do it because the crazy thing, even under the Mosaic law that God gave them, Moses is wrong. He breaks the law. He marries a woman he's not allowed to marry. He's wrong. And, and Miriam and Aaron, they come and they actually say to him, hey, buddy, you broke the law. And like they, they judge him and they criticize him. And guess what happens? God puts leprosy on Miriam and Aaron, who are right. And Moses actually cries out to the Lord, mercy on them, God. I don't know if you're catching this. What does this say about the heart of God? He, he loved Moses so much because Moses said yes to friendship with him. Moses said yes to the dream of God. The dream of God was not, here's my law, let's see how well you do. That's not the dream of God. God didn't give the law and say, give it your best shot, let's see. No, he gave the law to show you, you're never going to do it, and I never asked you to. Stop trying. And yet we still want to do it over and over again, but God's saying, I just called you up onto the mountain. I just called you to come up here with me, face to face, glory. Come and live with me. I'm actually father first. I'm father before I'm judge. I'm father before I'm king. I'm father before I'm creator. I'm father before anything else. Why? Because him and the son were together before time. And Jesus, when he comes to the earth, he carries this message. Let me teach you how to pray. Father. Where do we run? Because we don't run to a judge. We don't run even to a king because we're afraid. But we do run to a father. And every day there's this invitation from him. Come up here. Come. Come to me. We need a revelation of the gospel. If you're sitting here today and you are, if there's any sense of heaviness in your life, if there's any sense of fear, if there's any sense of or just hopelessness or just disappointment or frustration or you're just tired of life, you need to preach the gospel to your heart this morning. You need to remind yourself why you're alive. Because the only reason why you might not be satisfied this morning is because maybe you're living for the wrong dream. When you come alive in the dream of God, everything clicks into alignment because you found the thing you were born to do. And it's not based on success in this material realm. It's based on the obedience to what He's doing. It's based on seeing Him get the reward of what He paid for. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Everyone okay? If you're new here and you think I'm about to like pop a vein or something, I'm so sorry. It's genuinely because I'm, I really love the Lord. I'm really passionate and I definitely do not have it all together. It's not about that. That's the thing. You've got to hear this. It's just not about that this morning. It's about His grace and His mercy. It's about who He is. It's about the one who's righteous, the one who's pure, the one who's faithful. There is only one. He's holy. He's set apart. There can be no one else. It's only Him. And if we'll give our lives to Him, if we'll lay our lives down, He'll do more than we can ever think, ask, or imagine. Breathe, Connor. Whew. So I want to just give you some context here. I've heard some good teachings recently on this, and, and then the Lord spoke to me about something extra that I, I want to talk about. But just to give you some context, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament is, is basically, it's a, it's a symbol, a picture, and a type of Jesus. Uh, I don't have the time to unpack that, but basically it was where the presence of God dwelt and remained on the earth in the Old Testament. And, and God explained to them that it can only be carried on the shoulders of the Levites, the priesthood, okay? And so we see this, and, and all throughout, after Moses, they build it, God, He rests on this, His, his glory is there, and it actually says that His voice would speak to Moses out of the wings of the cherubim on top of this uh, Ark of the Covenant. And his voice would come from there. It's incredible. But anyway, we, we see that this happens and, and Israel, they go through different seasons. But eventually they get to a place where they pretty much forsake the presence of God. Now this is the one thing that made them unique as a nation, made them a people. But they forsake and, and, and they're, not, you know, they're not treating the presence of the Lord as, as central to their, their nation anymore. And the Philistines capture the ark and, uh, and so they take it and they put it in... Uh, it's called the house of Dagon, which is uh, one of their gods. And so they take the Ark of the Covenant from Israel 
they put it in the house of Dagon, next to Dagon the statue, who's one of the Philistine gods. And, uh, and it's a really crazy story, because what happens is um, Dagon, this idol statue, falls on his face next to the ark. And so the Philistines come in and they go, oh, wow, that's crazy. The wind must have come through the window and knocked him over. Man's crazy, hey? The wind knocked your God over. <laughs> they pick Dagon up and they, they put him back. And then the next day they come in early and uh, he's on the floor again. But this time he's, his head and his hands are, have been cut off from the statue. And so we see this, and that's an interesting picture, which we'll talk about in a second. And then the Philistines freak out because also what happens is plagues and stuff hit them, and, and it's just it's rough for the Philistines because they stole the ark. And so uh, we see later they, they put it on a cart, and they send it back to Israel. And, uh, and Israel, I mean, the ark comes back on a cart, and they take it and they put it in Abinadab's house, and they leave it there. For 20 years. And Samuel the prophet, while the ark is at Abinadab's house, the message of the Lord that's coming out is he's calling Israel to repent of their idols. Right? So we see this tradition, or this common theme, that in the house of Dagon with the Philistines, idols come crashing down where the presence of the Lord is. Dagons come crashing down. Then we see in the house of Abinadab, the, the prophetic word to the nation is repent of your idols, things that you've made Lord rather than God. And then for 20 years, the ark sits in a house, and a nation exists without the very thing that they were born, without hosting the very thing that, that sets them apart, right? Then suddenly David becomes king, and I love David. David decides, my first act as king is we're going to bring the ark back to the center of this nation. We're going to go after the presence of the Lord. Can you imagine? Sorry, you just became king of Israel. Like, and, and David was a, a military guy. Like he was, he was tough. He was... I mean, the Bible says he was pretty handsome. And, uh, and so, you know, chicks dig him. He's the guy. And then he, he, he gets the role as king to lead a nation. And you think he's going to, you know, beef up the army. He's going to, I don't know, conquer another nation, expand borders. He's going to do something that's impressive. And he goes, first thing I'm going to do is, remember the ark that's been left in Abinadab's house for 20 years that nobody's been talking about? We're going to go get it, and we're going to bring it back to the center of this nation. And we're going to build a, a country, a nation of people around this. And so he goes, and, uh, and they, they get it from Abinadab's house, and they start the journey. But David makes a mistake in this. He, the only thing he's thinking about is how the Philistines sent it on a cart. And so he puts it on a new cart. That's what the Bible says. He puts the ark on a new cart. Stick with me. And they begin to transport this thing towards Jerusalem, and suddenly it gets to a place where the cart wobbles, the oxen stumble, and Uzzah st sticks out his hand to steady it, and he touches the ark, and God strikes him dead. That's intense, right? And so David freaks out because he's like, what the heck is going on here, Lord? I'm the guy who's just trying to bring your presence back to the center of the nation. I'm just trying to be obedient to you. I'm trying to be obedient to your ways. So I went to go fetch it, put it on the thing, on the, the cart. And then Uzzah touched it to help out. And he died. And the Bible actually says David was afraid of God. So what he does is he goes, where's the nearest house? Oh, Obed-Edom lives here. By the way, Obed-Edom is a Gentile. He's from the same place that Goliath was from. If you go study it. So he, he takes the ark and goes, I'm terrified. Just put it in Obed-Edom's house, the Gentile, and let's just figure out what to do. So he leaves it in Obed-Edom's house, and for three months, the ark is sitting in Obed-Edom's house. And David is afraid, and I, I was explaining to our team this morning, it's like, can you imagine? David was, he was upset. He was hurt by God. His friend Uzzah died trying to save the ark, trying to save the presence. Crazy. And so he's, he's confused with God. David is in a season going, God, I don't understand you. I thought I was doing what you want. And while this is going on, guess what's happening to Obed-Edom? His house is blessed. And suddenly everything he touches is going well. He's just freaking out. Can you imagine Obed-Edom is like, this thing is awesome. 
put this thing right in the living room. Like anyone who comes near it is getting blessed. My whole family is getting blessed. Like it actually says abundance came on Obed-Edom's household for three months. And David looks at it and goes, geez, this is awesome. We need this thing. But suddenly David begins in those three months, he's, he's processing with God and he's going, God, I've missed something. What is it? And then he remembers the heart of God. How was the ark meant to be carried? On the shoulders of a priesthood. And so in 2 Samuel 6, what we see is, uh, from verse 11, it says, So the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household and family. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with rejoicing and gladness. Now listen to this. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord by its poles had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. I don't know what a fatling is, but <laughs> anyway. Um, and David was, was dancing before the Lord with great enthusiasm. And David was wearing a linen ephod, a priest's upper garment. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing the ark of the Lord up to the city of David with shouts of joy and with the sound of a trumpet. Okay, here's what I want you to see. If you don't know this, um, I feel, man, was it called Gibeon, where uh, Moses' tabernacle was? I think it's called that. That's where the ark was kept before it was lost and then kept in the house. And so I guarantee you all of Israel was waiting for David to take it back to where Moses' tabernacle used to be, right? That's where it belonged. That's where it had been before. Just stick with me. Get David's heart here. David discovers, okay, Obed-Edom is blessed crazy because we saw Dagon fall. We saw the call to repentance in Abinadab's house. Uzzah dies because they carried the ark wrong. And then suddenly Obed-Edom is blessed. And it's like, we, we need this thing. We know that God's intentions are for us to walk in blessing. Uh, but it's more than that. And then David goes, let's take it. Now we realize God wants it to be carried on the shoulders of the Levites. So let's get the Levites, carry it. And then David gets real gutsy. This is what blows me away. David is not a Levite but he puts on the priestly garments. Just so you know, that's against the law. I don't know if you're seeing something about David here. David is like, <laughs> he's getting the Levites ready to carry the ark, getting them dressed, and he goes, and one for me too. And I guarantee the Levites were like, uh, buddy, you're not, uh, you're not a Levite. You're not, this isn't, and he goes, give me, give me the upper garment. I'm going to wear priestly clothes. And then David, they, they take it and they're carrying this thing. And, and by the way, it's really heavy. I can't remember the exact specifics, but this thing was, I mean, it's gold and layered with a whole bunch of stuff. It was really heavy. This was, this was not uh, just an easy thing to, to walk around. And so David begins to dance violently. Like he's the, the leader of Israel. He's, he's the king of the nation. He begins to dance with enthusiasm in priestly garments. Against the law. And every six paces, he commands them to kill another ox or cow. Why six paces? Six is, is the number of man. It represents mankind, humanity, what we can do in our own strength. And so David, he learned his lesson. He's like, okay, we put it on a cart, which is our own attempts at carrying the presence of God. He realized that Uzzah tried to guard the presence of God. We don't guard his presence. His presence guards us. And he realized we carry it on the shoulders of the priesthood and we cannot do this in our own strength. And so every six paces, as a reminder that this is not our own strength, it has to be his, we make a sacrifice. It's a picture of Jesus. You get me? And he begins to dance so wildly, so extravagantly, that his wife looks from the window at this king who's like, his clothes are pretty much coming off. He's so extravagant, right? The day is coming on a Sunday when I'm going to have to be like, whoa, put the, let's keep it. Can you imagine dancing so enthusiastically for the Lord, so undignified for Jesus that your clothes are kind of coming off? And what's wild is that she looks at him and she despises him and she actually uh, accuses him. She's like, how can you do this? How can you, you've made yourself a fool to the maidens of, of Israel. And I love his response. He's like, uh, my God chose me above your father. He's pretty direct. I love, like, you know, just confidence. 
And he goes, and I'll become even more undignified than this. In other words, David is he's wildly, extravagantly ministering unto the Lord because as a king, it's the wrong thing to do. <laughs> as a king, it makes no sense to do that before the people that you're leading. You're humiliating yourself. And he's going, I'll become even more undignified because what I want Israel to know is what matters more to me than leading this nation is ministering unto the Lord. I've put the priestly garment on. We are going to prioritize the presence of Jesus above everything else. And I will give him everything that I am. I will be even more undignified. And even when his spouse goes, how can you do this? You're humiliating me. He goes, listen, let me tell you, you haven't seen anything yet. It's about to get even more wild. And he's starting to take off clothes. <laughs> Can I just say something to you? David's a manly man. He's the guy who beheaded Goliath. He's the guy who, Saul killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. He's a man of war. This is a manly man. And he is wild for Jesus. We've got to break this stupid thing on men where we think you know, being manly and tough is to be Mr. Cool and whatever. Get over it. Reality is, I promise you, what's wild for Jesus is someone who's like, I'm so abandoned. I'm so given to him. I don't care what it looks like. He's everything. He needs, he demands everything from me. He, he deserves everything from me. So we see David do this, and it's, it's incredible. And then they're going up, and you can imagine, the, I picture they get to like the fork in the road, and it's like this way to Moses' tabernacle, and this way to Mount Zion. And everyone's expecting him to go to Moses' tabernacle. And then he goes, no, no, we're going to go this way. And I, I'm pretty sure all of Israel was like, uh, uh, David, we love this idea that we're bringing the ark back, but this is where the ark goes. It goes in, in the tabernacle temple that we had built with an old covenant way of thinking where God gets put in a room and he stays inside that room. And David goes, no, 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 hold on. I've caught something of the heart of God. We're going to take him up to Mount Zion and I'm going to pitch a tent. A tent. Meaning there's no walls, it's not boxed in, it's a tent. And not only am I going to put the ark in a tent on Mount Zion. Zion represents the people of God. Not only am I going to put the ark in a tent, but I'm also going to invite all of Israel to come and behold the glory of God. Again, against the law. Because up until that point, it was the priest could go in once a year, make the sacrifice to atone for people's sin. That was it. Now he's going, no, no, we're going to open up this tent on the top of a mountain. I mean, I just like David. He's just gutsy. I mean, Uzzah just died touching it, right? He's like, yeah, my, my mate died touching it, but it's okay. I know God's heart. What we're going to do is put it on top of a mountain in the city of David in Jerusalem. We're going to open up the tent so the glory of God can be seen. And then we're going to gather everybody. And I can, can you imagine the first response from Israel is probably like, uh, David, Uzzah, <laughs> we actually named it uh, like God's wrath on Uzzah, Perez Uzzah, which is like God's outburst against Uzzah. <laughs> There's a place. We remember what God did to someone who came and touched his presence wrongly. And David goes, no, no, I know the heart of God. I know the dream. I know this. We're tapping into something here that I don't understand the whole thing, but I see the pattern. I understand the invitation. I know that God wants us in his presence. He took Moses there. I've been there in the fields with him. I know that he wants us. You catching this? And then he does this crazy thing where he goes, You know what we're going to do? We're going to spend taxpayer money on employing thousands of musicians and gatekeepers who will nonstop, 24 7, 365, worship him. And also, when I'm not doing kingly duties, guess where you're going to find me? I'll be there in the sanctuary beholding the beauty and the glory of the Lord. See, David had encountered, he'd beheld the glory of God. He understood the presence of the Lord. He understood the heart of God. He was learning as he was living his life and making mistakes. <laughs> he was learning the ways of God. He was learning the heart of God and realizing I was made for his presence. See, what he had experienced out in the field when it was just him and stinky sheep and the Lord. He understood God's heart. He understood that, hold on, I've been on this journey. It's not about being a king. Because he was anointed at whatever, a young age, and only became king at 30. We're talking years, at least 15 years of waiting. And not just waiting, perilous times. Being hunted down. The, the, the king that was in, the, in that place at the time, Saul, wants to kill him. Hunting him down, going after him. People lying about him. 
15 years after being anointed at least of, of just going, God, I, okay, I love you and I, I just want to be faithful. And then he has opportunities to kill the guy who wants to kill him and he doesn't because he goes, I won't touch the Lord's anointed. But he is the Lord's anointed. Did you see this? David understood something. He wasn't living for kingship. He was living for presence. He knew he was going to be the king. He knew I've been anointed to be king of Israel, but I'm not living for that. I'm living for presence. I'm living for him. David's the guy who writes one thing I desire, one thing I seek, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all my days and behold his beauty. See, if we're bored in worship, I don't think we're beholding. You'll only get bored in worship if you're looking at yourself. When you look at him, suddenly it's like, I could, I could do this forever because I'm, I'm wrapped up in him. I'm caught up in him. Do you want to know something interesting about Obed-Edom? Do you know what his name means? Servant of the blood. I love this. Obed-Edom is a Gentile. He has no right. He has no right to be blessed by the presence of the Lord. But his name means servant of the blood. Obed-Edom is a representation of the grace and mercy of Jesus. And here's the thing. Most Christians, this is how we live. I've got the presence of Jesus in my life. I want to see the Obed-Edom blessings and abundance. I want to see, hello, I want to see my life coming, everything I touch flourishes. Like that's right. I read it in my Bible, Obed-Edom, three months. Like, I have His presence in my life now. That's what I want to see. And what's amazing is that we've made that the goal of our Christianity, yet it's just a byproduct and benefit. <laughs> because, can I tell you something about Obed-Edom that really rocks me? When David comes and goes, thanks Obed-Edom, thanks for holding, it, holding on to this for three months, but actually it's not yours. Um, you can't keep it, and Obed-Edom's probably like, oh no, you know. But he's, he's going, no, actually this is, this is going to be the leadership of Israel. This is, this is Obed-Edom, I know it blessed your life personally. I know that your family got financially blessed by this. But the purpose and intention of this is not financial blessing. Guess what it is? A people for his own possession. It's not blessing, it's inheritance. And so they take this. Guess what Obed-Edom does? Ah! He becomes a gatekeeper. A gatekeeper. Him and his sons. It's like that psalm. It's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. Don't you, doesn't this blow your mind? Obed-Edom has had the ark in his living room. He was to care for it. His life exploded in abundance. The byproduct and benefit of Jesus. But it wasn't his purpose. See, because when the presence of God was put in its rightful place, which was to lead a people, Obed-Edom said, I'll give my life to be a gatekeeper, a doorkeeper for the presence of the Lord. I will tend, I will cultivate, I will help protect and cultivate environments that honor and value the presence of God as perfect leadership over a, a whole nation, a whole people. I can let go of the wealth and the stuff and the, the blessing for the sake of inheritance. Because inheritance goes way beyond me. Inheritance is the dream that Jesus gave his life for. The nations are his inheritance. Not ours, his. And we get to see him have his reward. Some of us are living with the goal of our Christianity as Obed-Edom's house. Rather than Mount Zion. Mount Zion is God's inheritance. Obed-Edom is you getting your fair share of the blessings of God. The goal of our Christianity is not blessing. The goal of our Christianity is inheritance, His inheritance, His dream. It's why we can say yes to things that cost us because it doesn't feel like a cost because He's worthy. If it's costly, it's probably just a test of whether you think He's worthy or not. Because think about those words. If you are worth this, this then it's not a cost, it's right. You get it?
I like Obed-Edom. I like him because it really reveals his heart that he was to host and house the presence of God. He saw the blessing on his life, but he wasn't given to blessing. He was given to presence. His life was given to one thing, that I would help steward, that I would help protect an environment where he's loved and honored. I'll open and close the door for the singers and musicians coming in and out. I'll make sure that the environment is protected and respected and honored because he's worthy. I heard, I think it was Brian Guerin who said this really profound. He said, you know, the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant in our life, the fruit of it is based on what house it's in. And this marked me because he said, in the house of Dagon, when you're in a home where there's other idols, guess what the presence of God does? Tears your idols down. Beheads, the head and the hands came off. This was, this was so profound. The wisdom of, of the idols and the ability cut off. It's what God will do. If you've got Dagon's idols in your life and you want the presence of God, guess what's going to happen? You're looking for the Obed-Eden blessing, but he's still tearing down Dagon's in your life. That's profound. The thing about Obed-Edom, firstly, his, his name is just so beautiful that it's prophetic of a servant of the blood. Um, the thing about him is, I think it caught him off guard that David wanted to put it in his house. <laughs> and he was a Gentile. I think he was just going like, I don't I mean, I heard about Uzzah and it's like, just, I'll just, we'll just trust that it's okay. It wasn't based on Obed-Edom. He, he didn't do anything. He was just going like, David decided to put it in my house and I got blessed. But I guarantee you, in three months, Obed-Edom had seen something of the presence of God that he realized, you can take all the blessing and all the, the byproducts of this thing. You can take the abundance that came with hosting his presence. It's all beautiful. But I saw something in my living room. I saw something of the person of God that I'll give my life for. So sign me up. I'll be a gatekeeper and my sons. My family will be committed to stewarding environments of his presence. See, if we want to see regions transformed, we don't need households of Obed-Edom. We need Mount Zion. We need communities that will say, put it up on the mountain, open up the sides of the tent, and let's invite the nations to come and see the King of Glory. You know, when we talk about things like the presence of the Lord is everything to us, what are we talking about? Are we talking about the presence of the Lord is everything to me because when it's in my house, I get blessed? Or are we saying the presence of the Lord is everything to me? I'll be a gatekeeper at the door. You with me? I think there's an invitation to the church globally right now. I think there's an invitation to us because the mandate over this house is, is not good Sunday gatherings. These gatherings are here to equip us and stir us up. And we're coming to a time where we won't really need to contend to lift the soul of the church to be in faith again. We're coming to a place where we will walk in here full of faith, fired up. Because we're all learning actually how to steward that well. And if you'll steward your yes to Jesus well every day, when we come together like this, it's going to get really fiery. Because you won't need encouragement. You're already encouraged in the Lord. You're here to, to do war. You're here for business. You're here, you're here like, all right, Jesus, you're doing things on the earth. We're enthroning you in our city. We get to be on the top floor singing over the northern suburbs going, Jesus, you're king of this region. You're king of this city. You're king of this nation. Fill us as a house and put your glory on display so that all can come and know who you are. That's what we're after. Arise, shine, for your light has come. It's, it's amazing that that's in the context of deep darkness covering the earth. Prisons people become a radiant church. A radiant church is the one that's going to see the harvest. It's the one that's going to see the Great Commission fulfilled. Because he's doing it and he's going to do it. Whether you like it or not, get in on this or don't, he's going to do it. But I promise you, you don't want to get to the end of this age and wish you had partnered with him, and wish you had said yes, and wish you had laid it down, and wish you had actually 
given your life to this thing. Wish you had given up the blessings of the household so that you could be the gatekeeper at the door. You know what I love about David? He's an incredibly wealthy guy as a king. He never went after it. He wasn't trying to be a wealthy, successful king. He was trying to honor the presence of God. And every time he made a mistake, he, just, he would return to that place of like, Lord, you're everything. And he knew the mercy and the grace of God. David accessed the covenant of grace way before its time because he knew God's heart. Remember, David's also the guy who made some serious mistakes. There's too many to list. He made some serious mistakes and God goes, yeah, this guy, he's after my heart. He has a heart like mine. We don't get this yet, but that really speaks of, of God's covenant with us. That really speaks of how He is not measuring you according to your sin. He's not measuring you according to uh, your wealth or your success or your status. Or He's looking for a heart that will go, I'm given to your dream, Lord. Father. Something that's beautiful about David is you actually see it, how he relates to the Lord as a father even before Jesus has introduced him as father to us. So this morning, my encouragement to us as a house, you will hear us say these things over and over again. We're given to the presence of the Lord. We love His presence. We I'm not satisfied, and as a team and as a house, we are not satisfied with getting together, singing some songs. Make sure you get a good cappuccino on the way in or the way out. Really encouraging word. And Man, great Sunday. Awesome. Have a good lunch. We'll see you next week. Come on. God have mercy. God have mercy that we've settled for that. Are you with me? You were born for so much more than that. We were born for the glory of God. We were born to carry Him. See, now we've become the temple, not this room, you and me. You go, well, why is it important that we gather? Well, because look at this. Every single one of us are carrying the glory of the Lord. If you're a born-again believer in this room, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we come together and love Him together, there are unique expressions of the same living God coming from every single one of us that begins to display His heart on the earth. It's why unbelievers should walk into environments like this and go, whoa, what is, I don't know what I just walked into, what is this? Right? I always say, like, it's amazing because in the world, most of the people in this room, you probably wouldn't hang out with them. But you come into church and God knits your heart together as a family and you end up doing life with people that back before you knew Jesus, you would never even be near them. But now they're your family. Now you actually like being together. It's supernatural. The church is the answer to the world. Why? Because it's the supernatural love of Jesus that unifies us and makes us one. The church is supernatural by nature. If we lose the supernatural power of Holy Spirit in the church, we are not the church anymore. It was birthed in power, and the bride that on the last day when He returns will be a bride in power, prepared in the power of the Holy Spirit. God's doing it. He's doing it. You don't get it, but He's doing it. And you want in on this. I'm serious. You, you want to make sure your life is given to this dream. And so, yes, maybe... God's called you to your sphere of influence right now. That might look really stressful. And there might be a lot of stuff going on and it's crazy and wild and intimidating. But you're not born for that dream. You're born for His. So your life is given to something that, that is above this. It's why you can't be shaken. It's why you keep thriving. It's why you, you're just looking for opportunities to shine every day. Because you're carrying the glory of God. I look at David and I just go, man, I, I just like him because he's, he's such a raw, messy king who's just going like, I don't really know how to do this thing right, but I tell you, I'm going to give it horns. I'm going to give it everything I got. I'm going to go full tilt. Can you imagine how much blood? Every six paces sacrifice a cow. There was a trail, man, of blood all the way. Like, this was not like a pretty procession. This was, this was raw and messy. You got blood all over the streets. I mean, you got cows going crazy, getting slaughtered every six paces. You got the Levites carrying this heavy thing. You got David, borderline butt naked, dancing for Jesus. This is a wild procession. This is offensive. This is extravagant worship. I'm excited for the day the church comes back to that.
Maybe not the clothes coming off part, but but where we become more undignified, where we're like, Lord, you are so worthy of our lives. You know, this is what's so beautiful about David is that in times when things got really rough, his response was to come into the presence of God and worship. So God, would you make us a worshiping house? Would you make us a people of presence? Would you make us those fully given to your dream that you would have your inheritance, God? Lord, thank you for the blessings that come with your presence like at Obed-Edom's house. But God, we're given to Mount Zion to host your presence, to see the glory of God cover the earth because it's going to happen. It is the dream of God. It will be established on the earth. And we just pray this morning, God, would you make a holy example out of us? It can be messy, it can be raw, it can be wild, Lord. We just say yes, we give you our lives. We give you our lives. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd come right now and just begin to minister to every individual heart. If there's conviction in, in the house this morning, I ask Holy Spirit, let conviction turn to transformation, not to offense. Offense is just undealt with conviction. We don't want to leave it undealt with. We want to be transformed by the living and active Word of God. Lord, if you're speaking to our hearts this morning, maybe about the idols, that, the Dagons in our life that have come crashing down, thank you, God, that you are so kind to us, that you would reveal your presence to us in that way. Thank you that your presence transforms regions, God. That our expectation is to see whole regions come to know you, to see the glory of the Lord cover the earth. Holy Spirit, I invite you to just come and, and minister to us right now. <clears throat> Would you come and, and minister to our hearts, come and minister truth, minister healing, even physical healing in our bodies right now. I thank you. Come and do it, Lord. Come and do it, Lord. There's some people here this morning, you can keep your eyes closed and just focus on the Lord, but there's some people here this morning that I know um, there's, there's war over your life, war over your heart for this very thing, the dream of God. And God is cutting, cutting us free from every legalistic form of tradition, the lies of the traditions of man that are keeping us bound instead of just in that raw messy state like David saying Jesus yes all of me it's yours I'm running after you Father I thank you that you are inviting and drawing us to your heart Every pressure of performance, every pressure to prove something, thank you that it just lifts off of us right now. It is not the Christian life to prove anything to the Father. You don't have to. Jesus already did. I thank you, God. Every bit of performance breaks off of us right now, and we receive sonship. We receive the relationship that Jesus has with the Father. We can have. He's died for that. He, he's paid the price. Thank you that your reward, Jesus, is us. Your people, people for your possession. Lord, start in our own hearts. Start with us. Have our hearts. Have our lives. Have all of us. Have all of us, God. Yeah. Jesus, I ask for the testimony of Jesus in this place, the spirit of prophecy that would begin to flow. Would you begin to call out the life of Christ in every person, Lord. That we don't have to internally look at ourselves, but we can keep our eyes fixed on you and behold the one. There is only one. We want to see the nature and the life of Jesus in us and through us. Thank you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. 
Thank you, Holy Spirit. God, I ask even now that you would wash over us, Lord. Minister freedom, the washing of the word. Let your presence saturate us, drench us, cover us right now. We love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Yeah, I release the fire of the Holy Spirit in this room, God, on every single one of us. I feel like there's someone here this morning who, this is quite specific, and I'm okay to be wrong. I feel like this morning... Maybe it's been a, a bit of a season of this, but you actually are so uncertain of where you're at in your life and what, what to do and how to follow Jesus and what He, what he wants for your life. And, and I felt like you came here this morning really just going, Jesus, I need you to meet me. I need you to touch me. I need you to speak clearly to me. I need to know. Is there somebody here this morning that came with that, that kind of heart posture? If that's you, won't you stand? There might be a few of you. Did you put your hand up? Won't you stand for me? Is there anyone else? Yeah. It's okay. Come on. That's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. The reason why you're carrying that burning desire in your heart is because you are born for more. <laughs> you're born for Him. You're born to live the dream of God. And I know that there's been a stirring and a hunger in your heart and you came this morning going, Jesus, would you meet me? And I believe, I just feel him so clear in the room this morning going like, I am so ready to fill your life. I'm so ready to touch you. I'm so ready to encounter you, to minister to you. And so if you're standing and, and you want to receive this, why don't you lift your hands? And um, I'm just going to pray and release by faith a tangible touch from the Holy Spirit. God, you know every single one of their hearts so personally. You know exactly the moment of, of life that they're in. You know what they've been facing. You know the secret prayers, the whispers, God, the whispered prayers that they've prayed. You know the desires of their hearts, what, what they've cried out for. And, and right now, Jesus, I thank you that you've come to meet them, to touch them, to illuminate their hearts, to set them on fire, to show them the dream of God and to say this is what you were born for. It's time to let go of your own ambitions. It's time to let go of your own desires, your own dreams, your own goals, your own plan for your life. Let it die today because it was never going to satisfy you anyway. It was never going to fulfill you anyway. You were not born for your own desires. You were born for me. Let me fill you. Let me anoint you. Let me set you apart. Let me set you on fire to burn for me, to do what I've called you to do. Right now, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to release the call of God over those that are standing and the assignments of heaven over their hearts right now. God, I break off apathy. I break off a sense of hopelessness now. And I thank you that faith would begin to burn in their hearts. D, why don't you go put your hand on Johnny here? Yeah? Johnny, I just see the Lord on you, bro. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've set this man apart, that you've called him as a son. And God, I ask right now for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit that every other question, every other doubt, every other thought would fall away right now and that the one thing that's necessary, just like Mary of Bethany, the one thing would be so certain and set in his heart that he was born for your presence, that he was born for your glory, that you have anointed him, you've called him, you've set him apart for this time, for this day, God. And I thank you, Jesus, right now for the authority of heaven to rise up inside of him, that as he begins to speak into situations and circumstances, as he begins to speak in the sphere of influence that you've placed him in, that he would know that he is called to carry the gospel, to preach the gospel with fire, to see signs, wonders, and miracles flow through his life, God. So I release the fire of the Holy Spirit over him right now in Jesus' name, from the soles of his feet all the way up, God. 
fill him afresh, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Where he's felt dry, where he's felt tired, where he's felt weary, where he's felt confused. Today, all of that falls away. And I thank you for fire, God. Fire on his life in Jesus' name. There's a young girl, at the blonde girl at the back. Yeah, I just see the Lord on you as well. And the whole time I was preaching, I really felt like the Holy Spirit kept highlighting you. And I wasn't sure. I'm just saying, God, what are you saying to her? And he's really, this is no chance that you're here today. Like he, he brought you here. He's placed you in that seat right now because he wants to meet you and he wants to touch you. Will you just lift your hands? Holy Spirit, Max, you want to run? Holy Spirit, thank you that you are all over her right now. Your presence is drenched her this morning. She's covered. She's surrounded. I see that you're, you've almost like come into that cloud this morning and he's holding you so close and he's speaking to your heart and you've been crying out saying, Jesus, speak to me. Jesus, show me. God, I want to know the deep desires of your heart. I want to know the thoughts of your heart. And this morning, he's saying, thank you for pursuing me. Thank you for coming after me. Thank you for not quitting. Thank you for not being led by your feelings, but choosing me day in and day out. And this morning, he's covering you with his glory and saying, you are mine. You are mine. He's holding your heart. He's healing every emotional wound. He's healing every bit of pain. He's healing every lie that's tried to speak into your future, even into your present. And I thank you that the dream of God is being awakened in your heart because you know you were born for more. You know you were born for more. And so God, thank you. Let it well up inside of her. Let rivers of living water well up right now in Jesus' name. And I thank you, God, for encounters, wild encounters with the man with fire in his eyes, the burning one, the burning one. Yeah, I just see like angelic activity that there's like God is ministering to you in the realm of the Holy Spirit right now. There's so much. He's just pouring out revelation. He's pouring out the treasures of heaven. He's saying, there's so much I want to give you. There's so much you don't even know. There's so much. There's more. There's more. There's more. There's more. And I just see He's anointed you in this moment. There's fire on your hands. There's fire on your feet. He wants to put fire in your heart. He's saying it's a burning season for burning love. God, fill her. Fill her right now. Fill her right now. Fill her right now. Yeah, let this be a confirmation to you that the Lord sees you, He knows you, and He has set you apart. And I feel like the season for questions is finished. The season for, for doubting is finished. The season for being unsure is done. Today, the Lord speaks over your life and He says, I have called you and I've set you apart. No longer question it. You know, burn for me. Burn for me. Yeah, every other person that's standing right now, God, I thank you for the fire of heaven that would just fall on you. Let it fall on you. Let him touch you. Let him fill you. He's the lover of your soul. He's the lover of your soul. My, my brother here in the really cool jacket um, with the beanie. <laughs> I just see the Lord on you as well, man. Like, there's such a, a dunamis, like the dunamis power of Holy Spirit, that explosive power of Holy Spirit. Um, and it's so creative on you, man. Like, uh, I'm not even sure what you do, or, or, but there's this beautiful expression of the Holy Spirit on your life. And so, God, I just thank you that what's going to flow from this man's life is unusual and peculiar, but it's wild and wonderful. It doesn't look like maybe what we've seen or what he's seen, but it's so powerful, God. And there is a potency of the gospel that you're called to carry. It's the purity of his grace. And it's the grace of God that's washed you and set you free and set you apart. But he's called you to carry that message, to begin to share and preach that message. And so, God, I thank you even now. I thank you even now that you are clothing him. You are clothing him with garments of sonship that he would not question where He stands with you, but that He would know He is firmly rooted in the love of God. And that what flows from His life, God, in this, in this season is going to look so beautiful, so wild and wonderful, but it's really carrying the fragrance and the aroma of Jesus. People are going to look at your life and go, man, what is this thing? What is this? This is incredible. We know that's not you. What have you done? And I believe they're really going to experience the testimony of Jesus through your life. Maybe you've been in a place where you're like, I don't really like to share my testimony. And Jesus is saying, you can just share mine. It's all good. His testimony is so perfect. It's alive in you. It's in your eyes. It's in your smile. It's in your face. You carry it. So Jesus, I release that over him now. And I thank you, God, that today you would encourage his heart, that you would strengthen him. 
that you would strengthen him, Lord. Strengthen him that when he walks out of this room today, he walks out with confidence in who he is in you. Yeah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we love you this morning. Can we all stand together? We love you this morning.